This episode is brought to you by our friends at Detroit Boxing Company. They're a clothing brand that focuses on quality and comfort. I have a few of their shirts and they are comfy as hell. And not only are you going to look great, but I swear when I put my shirt on, I can throw my jab cross hook way better. Maybe that's just the placebo effect, but I swear it looked way better. If you want to learn more about the company and what TJ has been putting together, you should listen to episode number 36 of the podcast. I had a chance to talk to him about his motivations and what inspired him to start the company. He's a wonderful dude and what he's putting out is great. So be sure to check out their website at DetroitBoxingCompany.com. And at the checkout, make sure you use the word CoreyCast, all one word, no E, C-O-R-Y-C-A-S-T, and save yourself 10% at checkout. It's time to treat yourself. Episode 49 of the CoreyCast. Can you believe we're almost up to 50? How wild is that? Today's guest is my friend and chef, Zach Cavallo. Now, I know this might sound a little weird to say, but I didn't realize how creative cooking can be and how much that can be a creative uh, an outlet, a creative outlet for some people. Zach's very interesting because he takes all these different styles of cooking, Italian and Chinese, and then he tries to put them together. Now, I'll say Zach has got quite the mind when it comes to cooking and I feel like this whole time I really realized how genuine and intelligent Zach really is and especially when it comes to cooking I mean his food is just just chef kisses is amazing and not to mention his food's just as good as he is a human being like I like I love this dude and I hope you enjoy this conversation uh with my friend Zach Cavallo Hey, there we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach, thanks for doing the podcast. I appreciate you, dude. Of course. Um, I really thought this would be a good one because I know you have like a hobby for cooking. Like you really are passionate about cooking. You even did, you were doing meal prepping for people for a while too, right? Yeah, it started, I mean, I've been, since I kind of joined the workforce, I guess I would say, uh, after a couple of semesters of college. It's just kind of been cooking since then, really. Um, It really hit, like the meal prep stuff really hit, like at the beginning of the pandemic. It Mm. was like the only way to really still do it and stay practiced and stuff like that. So I just did it out of my apartment. Um, But whether or not I work in the food service industry, it's always like cooking is what makes me feel good. Mm Mm-hmm. Cooking is where I get my positive reinforcement and like my creativity out. And it's like, it's, it's like for a lot of people, how, when they write, like they can get shit out and just do it like that. And for me, it's just when I cook a a two for one, you get your creativity out and uh, you get some positive reinforcement. I like that. Did you go to school for cooking? No, I, uh, I went to school, I went to SUNY Oneonta for three semesters for documentary filmmaking, actually. Whoa. I it was, uh, yeah, I don't know if you remember back in high school, that was kind of, I did a lot of like the film stuff. and Dude, uh, with Mr. Ferranto. Yeah, with Ferranto, my Dude, boy. I gotta, I gotta give credit to Ferranto because he's the one that laid a lot of groundwork for the stuff that I do right now. Oh, he's. Like the, 
virtual tours to like yep. just messing around with with uh footage and stuff he he definitely laid the the interest in my brain right off the get-go when i think it was 10th grade when we did uh video production i think i think well because you were a year older than me right yeah in 10th they had video and then in i feel like my senior year is when they did two video production yes two. yes yep yeah i uh when it comes to him, like I not only did I learn a lot about like just like the skill and the art of like making film and doing all that stuff. And that was, you know, we don't need to date ourselves, but that was like we were using like tapes and cameras and stuff <laughs> like that. That was like right when that stuff was like YouTube had been around for what, four years at that point. Like, yeah, it was yep. just starting to. So but he he taught work ethic like uh-huh. I, I still say stuff that he said back then you know what i mean really? like stuff like if you're not 10 minutes early you're late like <laughs> he would like all the stuff where he's like i don't i don't say the word random because of him oh that's because right. he hated random he's like nothing yeah, forgot about that i was like he's right nothing's random like no but he was a, he was a great guy yeah i really, really i gotta good. i'm not gonna lie i'd even say i got some of my sense of humor from him too Ferrano, if you're watching this right now, email me back. <laughs> oh, I see. That's the the power of Facebook. Is yeah, you get to stay connected. Like mm-hmm. uh, uh, Miss Cook, she was my graphic design teacher. Yeah, for Facebook friends, I used to get to see everything going on. Ferranto is social media list, and I haven't seen him in He's, ten years. He, I, I'm pretty sure he lives in the mountains somewhere and just comes down to teach students and then goes. Good for back. him. Yeah, good for good him. For Absolutely him. right. Yeah, it's he definitely kind of helped like start my creative brain process yeah you know what i mean yeah like, he absolutely. was the one that got us thinking about different stuff that i never would have thought about before yeah he he absolutely he launched me into like because we did what was what we called lunch club my senior year so after you graduated we we started lunch club and we would once a week all bring in a dish and eat it in the studio oh that's cool for lunch and it was like Mr. Ferrano would make like these crazy awesome like like dishes and stuff like that. I was like, <laughs> "What is your deal, dude?" But no, it, like, you definitely he launched he launched uh, years of hard work like for me for sure. So CNS, yeah. buddy, and I, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know, right? I know, right? Isn't it crazy? I mean, he started he even started the uh, the uh, morning announcements. Yeah, they were like yeah. videos. Yeah, and it was that was um the first was, year that we did it was me and me and Melfi did it and it was a just a blast. Like and I learned a lot of skills, especially about speaking. That's right, dude. I, yeah. You and Melfi did the the morning announcements. Yep. That's funny. Dude, what how wild is that? And so then when you got out of high school, that just made sense to go into into film, right? Well, you know and, how when you made that shit, where was you know I was how say, like, were you going to school specifically for that? Like yes, that in yeah. mind. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I, I, it was like a mass communication sort of dome that I was under, and it was like I could either go into the production aspect of it or the front end aspect of it. Front end food service, like I, I think it was more for me. Uh, that I wanted to just express myself in some way, 
I, I didn't think right. that I could sit in an office and do whatever. I wanted to be able to learn a skill and be able to be creative with it rather than not. Mm-hmm. So for for me, that transition from that to food like made the most sense. I'm not gonna lie. Also, when you think of being creative, you don't really. Your first instinct isn't isn't food. Like my first instinct when you think right. of creative is like yeah. media and fine arts and stuff like that. Then yeah. it doesn't think of food. So that that must have been like a very interesting transition. Well, if you look at like the way now that food is represented in our communities, like how many times do you go to a restaurant for the first time now without looking at their Instagram or like Googling them and and looking at pictures of the food and looking at like, Oh shit, their chef made a video for this, that, and the other, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's what entices people. Now it's not, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I do it because I'm different and I just, I understand the food service industry on a different level, but like most people that are just going casually to restaurants, they're not going to, go somewhere without figuring it out yeah i i we go to when we go to a restaurant my wife has got the menu already pulled up and yeah we're looking at instagram pictures and we're seeing what their food looks like that's that's what you got to do now and it's uh with me and obviously we'll we'll i'm sure end up talking about three lives quite a bit but i you had to you have to like push to brand yourself as a chef Mm. now like if you if you don't brand yourself you're just a cook like mm. that's that's how it is now and yeah. i gotta tell you man it's fucking exhausting it's what, just, what <laughs> makes it exhausting just like having to constantly like put out content is that what's exhausting it's not even the content aspect because i i like to speak like in front of people i i you know going back to high school have that sort of background of acting and obviously the announcements and things like that so that's not an issue for me it's the it's like the social media aspect of like you and I've had conversations outside of a realm of like being taped and stuff like that. And it's yeah. like, you, you can't always talk that way or act that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, it's a constant like second part of your brain that you have to go like, Oh, I can't say like, fuck this guy or fuck that. Like I would, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> normally. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So that part is really exhausting. And then just the actual work of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like not, it's not the clicking post that's bad. It's the, everything that comes before it. That's, the editing, yeah. the writing a script, like not even, maybe even not even a script, just kind of having like a, a formula or some kind of highlight of what you're going to do or say. Or even like I've, I've, I know you've popped in on some of my Instagram lives that I did like during the pandemic and stuff. Like when I was doing those, that's like a solid hour and a half, two hours of me just cooking where I have to be like, a presentable individual as best yeah. I can. Like, yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's, I mean, you know exactly how it is like, uh, you know, being a realtor and all that stuff. Like you have to put the face on and, yeah. and do it for a hundred percent. Yeah. And so. that's, <clears throat> that's a good point. Cause you, you're saying like, you gotta, it using your second part of your brain. I, I don't know if I like the term put a face on. Cause it makes it sound like, yeah, I'm this person when I do this. And then I, I'm just the same person. That's part of the reason why I did, this podcast because if there's anybody that was that wanted to work with me i they could literally just google my name here's a youtube channel you could watch a video of me talking to somebody and you could see would we mesh or not yeah yeah you know what i mean like that's that's the that's what i'm more more worried about i want to make sure that we we mesh together and there's always a like a uh public facing 
identity you have to worry about too, you know? And it's like, and that comes back to the branding yourself. Like what, if you're just branding yourself for you, like if I was, you know, Zach Cavallo LLC and was trying to brand myself <laughs> for whatever bullshit I was doing, like that's, you can do it and then only you suffers the consequences. But when you represent a business or you represent, you know what I mean? Like a firm or whatever it may be, right? you have to ultimately use that second part to think about them. Mm-hmm. And that's what that second face starts being them. And right. you can't really completely do you because right. it's not always, you know, going to make sense for that business, which I compend. I like, I commend John at three lives so much for, letting his employees and letting us at the time really just be who we were. Yeah. Especially not even just like on social media, but like in shift and all that stuff, like it made so much sense. Right. Right. For us to just be ourselves. Cause it was such a casual, like young people, like it made sense. I could go out there and like, somebody would say like, Hey, like I really fucking liked this, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, I fucking like, I just like, can like, just say like, yeah, I worked really fucking hard and blah, blah, blah. Like we could yeah. swear we could do whatever we wanted to. Dude, like, you can't do that at a five-star restaurant. You have to be like, no, yes, sir. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, thank which you. Is, I worked uh, very hard on it. Thank you. I the worst. I yeah. can't. <laughs> oh, I can't. It's another reason why I left the industry because it's just, it's moving towards that. There's no creativity anymore. Like not even just, I mean, we could talk about the money all day and the bullshit offers that I got after leaving three lives and the other place that I went to that we all won't right. talk about. Cause I don't want to get blood in my ears. But... <laughs> <laughs> so when you, when you got out of college, did you just go straight into restaurant work? Like how was that transition into, into so restaurant? I'll, I'll paint you the picture, my friend. I, I got kicked out of college. I had, mm-hmm terrible GPA. I, you know, I was drinking and doing like all that shit. And I woke up like it was winter break. I woke up to my mom. Like I, I woke up like hungover at fucking three 30 in the afternoon. You know what I mean? Like, mm. and my mom threw an envelope on me and was like, go get a fucking job. Yeah. You know, which is right. the best thing she could have done. Like literally yeah. just shape, shape my life in that one moment. And I went and got a job at Maine's Food and Party Warehouse, right in North Syracuse when it used to oh, be. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, my boss there, his name's Peter Greco. He's one of the best chefs I've ever met in my life. Wow. Um, and nobody that says would, a lot. Yeah, nobody, nobody would know that. He's just this, you know, this. He, at the time, he was like a fifty-something-year-old Italian man who just <laughs> like loved every kind of cuisine and just threw himself into it. And he owned his own catering business on the side. And all it took was me just doing one catering gig with him where I worked like 24 hours in two days. And like, I made like two grand or something. You know what I mean? Like I was just like, I was a, like a 20 year old kid. Yeah. And I was just like, all right, I can do this. Like I had knife skills and stuff like that. Cause I grew up in a family that cooked a lot. Like, Right. And then after that, it was just, I threw myself into it. I worked at Maine's for like three years and I catered on the side with him. And then he start started having me do stuff on my own and blah, blah, blah. He like mentored me basically. He, I mean, he killed me for saying that. Like really, he, he was the kind of old Italian guy that would like, he would like, if you got like cross with him or anything like that, he would take you in the cooler and he'd be like, all right, let's do this. And he would like old school box you. 
What the fuck? It was fucking, I loved it, dude. <laughs> he was the best, dude. And he was so good at it that he could just like, he just like hit you and just like stagger you enough where you're just like, okay. Oh, right, God. Okay. okay. Yeah. Sure. I'm so I'll sorry. Away. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. But no, he was, I, I learned the most from him that I did from anybody, really. So he, he definitely helped me launch into that. And then from there, I went to Vince's. And at Vince's, it was just oh uh, shit! You were at Vince's, the import place. Yeah, and I'm still, nice. you know, I'm still good pals with the owner there. We've we've had our ups and downs again. Another Italian Italian men are so hard to get along with, dude. Like, mm, especially yeah. from the older generations. Like, there's a lot of like you have to not read into stuff they say so yes. much. That's very very hard as a young man. Like, I've literally just learned how to understand. Yeah. Dude, like, that's I only know that you you were saying it, and I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's my Portuguese grandfather was the same way. Mm-hmm. Like you can't can't read in the shit that he says. It's very just like just can't look into it. You know what I mean? When they say no, dude, they mean no. they literally just mean like you'd be like, I have an idea. Like I'll there's this one time at uh, it's funny because I was just talking to my buddy who used to be the manager there that I worked with for forever. And we, we tried to do this one thing. Like we would always try to do fusion. You know how I am. Like I love to pick and choose from different cuisines and put it together. Like, and we tried to do Italian egg rolls and we used Uh, like homemade pasta dough and stuffed it with like ground super and like San Marzano tomatoes and Parmesan cheese and like chopped green onion. Like, and it was just gorgeous. Yeah. Like this beautiful, beautiful egg roll. And like everybody loved them, and the uh, the owner was on vacation when we made them, so we're like, we're just, let's just fucking sell them, dude. Like, so yeah. we sold them. They sold out like two, three times, oh. and and as soon as as soon as he came back from vacation, he was like, you're not fucking selling those. Like, <laughs> it was like it was like we even tried to give him like an Italian name. Like, we just like Googled into like Google Translate like how to say egg roll in Italian, <laughs> and it was just. I remember what it's like rotolo de uova. It's like the most gorgeous thing to fucking say. <laughs> you can say anything in Italian oh, and it's yeah. gorgeous. But I feel like you could say uh pee pee poo poo and it'd probably be beautiful. And, <laughs> a pee-pee and... poo-poo. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> then you're like, dude, we sold out of all the egg rolls. What do you mean you're not you don't want to give us and that's the kind more. of thing like it's it's the stubbornness. Like at the end of the day, he knows that he has an idea and a vision for the company and that's why he did it. And at the end of the day, it was probably the right decision. Mm-hmm. But in our heads, we're just like, we made banging food that everybody loved. Why can't we just sell it? Like kind yeah. of thing. But Vince's is very much so about traditional Italian, like actual motherland sort of style food. Yep. Right. And then the American Italian side of it too. Like, so it's like, if it doesn't fit into either of those, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for the business model. And Italian egg rolls don't make much sense in either of those regards. Oh, they made sense. Right. When they hit the tongue, they made sense, but yeah, right. That's exactly, but it's not for a place like that. If that makes sense. Yeah. So that's funny. And then you, from Vince, it seems like you just have always had like this cooking, kind of path from vince's did you go to three lives or was was there something in between i worked at um carmelita's in cicero um it's carmelita. a Mex- mexican restaurant nice if you, if you haven't gone it's it's fucking incredible i don't go anymore because my ex-wife's a waitress there but that's for another Ooh, day yep. Gulp. Yeah, that's a, um that's a story for another day <laughs> but uh 
no, I learned a lot from uh, Teresa, who's the owner there as well. She's uh, she's a absolute spitfire Mexican woman that like Mexican cuisine is very similar to Italian family cooking where it's like you leave shit in pots for a long time and like it's all like off the cuff stuff. And I, that's how I love to cook. So it was really fun to do that way. You're not measuring shit. Yes. I learned yep. a lot about being creative and creating like specials and stuff like that. And I had a lot of fun there. I met a lot of nice people and stuff like that, but that was the job that I lost uh, when the pandemic started. Uh, right. And that was the same time that I was going through a divorce as well. Right. So it was just like, Shit situation on top. Oh of my god, it was miserable. Yeah, and then of course you know you're locked in a house by yourself for for two months, right? And that didn't help either. It didn't, but now that I look back on it, it did. Like yeah. it was super important for me to just like dive into my own cuisine and my own ideas and my own stuff like that, as well as just like fucking get the brain right through right. like the divorce and everything like that. Like it was just straight like look in the fucking mirror every day and be like, what do you want to be kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And that's when, after I left um, the apartment that I was in, that I like turned into a restaurant. Like I took all the, like I took everything out of my living room. I was like hanging pasta on like laundry racks. Like <laughs> I had pizza boxes everywhere. Like I was like fermenting dough in my bat, my second bathroom. Like <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. That's hilarious. And I made like, it was like this underground operation that was completely illegal. And like, <laughs> and I made so much money. Like, And I was just like, I was, I was just making so much money during the week. And like, uh, I don't know if you, you, do you know, Scott Dixon? Yeah. Friends with yeah, Scott? yeah. Yeah. Scott was super, super helpful in like getting me clients and he like loves my food. So he would like, we just started like this little mini underground movement of me just like making sushi and pizzas and fried chicken. Dude, and, like, that all is big in the people. South. There's a lot of people that do that in the South. I know because it's legal. <laughs> but oh. In New York, like you can't if if anybody were to find out about that, not even just like taxes wise, like. I mean, I'm saying it on a podcast, but I don't care. This, is all, this is all allegedly like yeah, you're kind of elaborating a very <laughs> yeah, giant story. Yeah. So it's like, um, I'm a huge proprietor of it should be legal for you to just fucking make some cash off your food. Like, I don't yeah. understand why, like I get the insurance part of it and this, that, and the other thing, but if somebody wants to sue you because you undercooked chicken, let them sue you. That means you're not a, a good enough chef to do it. Boom. Right. You know what if I mean? You got a neighbor next door is like, Zach, I'll give you 20 bucks if you make me some of that awesome baked CD that you make. What, what's wrong with that? Yeah, literally, and that's exactly what I was doing. And I was just like, people would would I made like bond me sandwiches for people and and sushi. I was making my own fucking cured salmon like in my refrigerator, like just yeah. out of like a little apartment kitchen. And it was it was a blast, man. And I I definitely wasn't doing it as healthily as I could have because I was making so much money. I was getting like a case of Woodford Reserve, like mm. <laughs> and shit. Like I was like, you know, into it deep. But that was like. In my head, I was like, okay, all these chefs are like, have that origin story where they're like, in a like, you look at David Chang. David yeah. Chang was a terrible alcoholic, yep. didn't take care of himself, almost died. And then all of a sudden, he's fucking a multimillionaire and has eight Netflix shows and fucking yep. smoking weed with Seth Rogen. And you know what yeah. I mean? Like, 
<laughs> so to me, that's what I did. And then after I ended up moving out of that apartment and kind of getting my life in order a little bit, and I was just like trying to find a new job and figure things out is when John reached out to me about three lives. But why, before we touch on three lives, but why not do that right now? Like why not just can, is, is it very easy to rent out like a small kitchen and go through the, the loopholes of, or the, like the channels for, for things? It's miserably difficult. Uh, why do they do that? Why? It's it's just capital. Yeah. It, like really, when you think of it, like when it comes to uh, like when it comes to knowing what to do, how to set it up, how to do it, like where to get equipment, X, Y, and Z, like all the bases, I could do it like that, right? But when it comes to having capital, understanding the sort of like licenses you need and insurance you need and all that stuff like it is for a young person who doesn't have any backing or anything like that to take that risk yeah it's just it doesn't make any financial sense to yourself to do it Mm -hmm. that's why you look at any new places that are opening up it's all people from out of town or people that have backers you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. it's just it's a fucking it's a very very difficult state um, let alone city to be able to do anything new in. That's right. why I just, you know, when, when I say I've left the food service industry and I'm working somewhere else and, and to be clear, I'm very, very happy and very content with my job. Like I love it. Yeah. But it's not, I don't think it's the end of my food service career by any means. Um, okay. Whether or not it's like jumping back into the little stuff that we're talking about or like <laughs> me being a 45 year old man going like, all right, let's finally try it. Yeah. Kind of thing. So right. who, who knows? But it's a passion and a skill that doesn't go away very easily. Right. At all. I would imagine it's you're just, just like whipping yourself up like fucking spaghetti egg rolls at your house now. Well, it's fucking what's so great is because I'm on, on this like new health kick and like trying to really get healthy and like get my I have time to like work out and like do these things to really take care of myself again. And like the skill of cooking makes eating healthier so much better. Like mm. If I was pre this and I was trying to do it, I'd be like, God, what do I do? Like what ingredients are good? Like where do I get carbs? Where do I get protein? Where do I get X, Y, and Z? Like what's good for gut health? What's good for this? Like what should I be eating before or after the gym? Like all this stuff is like just so easy for me to like – I fucking eat one pot meals that get everything for me like right in there. So it's it's easy to do that and I can still stay creative because I spend a lot of time now like – toasting like like fennel seeds and like you know what i mean like all these cool like little minuscule things that aren't like adding unhealthy stuff it's just adding flavor and exploring new things like that right is is the best way for me to stay creative and and still keep my skills like in order in case i ever want to jump back in to it yeah it's dude it's cool because it seems like like correct me if i'm wrong when people usually getting into cooking is it usually like they stick to Italian food. They stick to Mexican food, right? Is that, or is that just me, me being kind of like prejudice? I think that's what puts people apart from being like, like if you, if you get into the industry just to make money, right? Like if you just, if you're just a cook, then yes, you're going to stay at that Italian restaurant and cook that food over and over again. And not to say Mm -hmm. that those skills aren't important. Like Italian food uses, all the mother sauces, it uses all the different sorts of cuts that you need and blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of butchering involved. There's a lot of baking involved. There's a lot of um, 
like dessert aspect to it that is something that I don't really get into. I'm a I'm a terrible terrible baker. Yeah. Um, but it's it's, it's what cool sets... because you like dabble in both though. Like yeah. you have have like this interesting like it's almost like this trifecta of like all these different backgrounds that you mesh together. Well, I. I think what really, really got me into food was Japanese cuisine. So like I definitely, I'm the kind of guy that always chooses cornstarch over flour. And that's from like my background of, of like thickening a sauce, like in Japanese cuisine is you use a cornstarch slurry. You don't make a roux. Uh, Butter isn't huge in Japanese, Japanese cuisine, like that kind of stuff. So like I abhorrently, object to french cuisine i always have really? everybody always argues that it's if you don't know french cuisine you you're, you don't know how to cook or whatever i know french cuisine i don't give a fuck about french cuisine. <laughs> <laughs> why what is it about french cuisine i never had it's so regimented it's so like talk about uh the dish ratatouille right which the movie ratatouille is based off of it's right, the, oh, right, right. it's the three squash vegetables and the tomatoes, and you have to like slice them exactly the same thinness and just place them around your little bit, 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 and then cook it with the and I'm just like, get over it. Like if I if I were to make my own ratatouille dish, I would chop it rustically and fucking roast it and get some char. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. the kind of cook that I've always been. And it's like French cuisine is just like you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to, and I can't stand uh, it. Less less you have to do ABC rather than Hey, explore your options at F H W and yes. see what happens. <laughs> it's like taking what what's so great about cuisine is taking and making your own cuisine. And like I've the most proud like moments that I've had in my life are because people have tried something new that I've made without knowing that I made it and say, This tastes like Zach made it. Mm, interesting. You know okay. what I mean? Because yeah. I don't give a shit if it's good or not. They just go, This is a Zach thing. Right. Like, oh, this is like, because it has my signature, like, flavors and, and ideas and, like, having your own sort of cuisine is just, that's the most beautiful thing you can really do. Because it's kind of like a signature. Yeah. That's like, that's pretty baller. I mean, it's, when we, when Mike and I would go to Three Lives and I would eat something, for sure, obviously, Zach made it, right? Because yeah. we knew you were behind the grill. But I, I know what you mean. It, it almost has, like, it, it like, there's a... There's a certain quality. There's a certain thing about it that makes it. There's exact. always something pickled. There's always something like there's always something sweet and salty. There's yeah. always like a, a meat or vegetable that's like got this deep braised sort of like, like uh, there's all these little things that come together that I've learned from each place that I do. You know what I mean? Like Italian cuisine, there's a lot of pickling, a lot of salting, a lot of preserving and stuff like that. So I get that sort of funky flavor from there. Right. Then Japanese cuisine, there's a lot of that like umami sort of like fermenty, like weird kind of like flavors that come from like miso paste and like gojujang and Korean cuisine and like all these different things. And then the Mexican food is where I got like that long braise, like understanding of like how to cook each meat and like use all parts of the animal because inherently Mexican cuisine is native cuisine. Mm -hmm. so it's like it's very very similar to 
if it, I don't know if you've ever had any sort of native food, like North American native food, no. but it's all like these beautiful game meats and like these really rustic sort of like uh, breads and like taco like style things. Mm-hmm. They're just gorgeous. And that's, and that's kind of what I meld together and do that. Like the menu at three lives was a smash burger menu, but I was able to play with it and make it so fun. And so right. like me and like, I was grinding my own meat and making my own pickles and like making my own pickled veg. And like people were going to a bar being forced to fucking get like a side of something because of the pandemic. And then ended yeah. up just like, eating a bowl of pickled vegetable and be like, Holy shit. Like this is good. You know I mean, so it's yeah. like that kind of stuff was, was definitely where I found my home. Yeah. It's it that, sure. that like uh, Mexican tradition of like, not only just like long braising meat, but also using everything of of the animal and also open flame like yeah that i think that's one of the least used things um around here especially i mean there's a couple of places that do a lot of stuff there's eden which has a whole open flame kitchen um what is it called it's called eden uh um they're they're you know whatever there's uh, like like most uh food service places there's a lot of uh, extracurriculars in the background that might not be so savory that uh, that, that are spoken about, but uh, right. it's um, it's there's something that flame does. Like like, have you ever had baba ganoush before? No, it's an eggplant dip. It's a Middle Eastern eggplant dip, and it's oh. I made it. I made it for my wedding because I catered my own wedding. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's, that's amazing. All. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, when you know when you've when you've catered for years and you know exactly how much money it costs to make the food and how much you charge for that, like, right? I just couldn't in my head be like, I'm gonna give this guy what I would make if I did my own thing instead of spending yeah. a tenth of that to fucking yeah, just yeah. do my own thing. The markup's so, crazy. So baba ganoush is like a fire roasted eggplant. So you just roast it skin on and everything like that until it blisters and starts to pop and and becomes whatever. And then you put it into a container and steam it, peel it, mash it, add tahini paste, which is like one of the main ingredients of hummus. It's that sesame paste. Mm -hmm. I've never seen that before. Yeah. Tahini, roasted garlic, all this stuff. And it's just this beautiful, like smoky, charred, like eggplant flavor to it. With like the smoothness of the tahini and like the roasted garlic and a beautiful olive oil, and you just like you you put it in the bowl and then you float olive oil on top of it, and it's just oh, it's so fucking good. But it's like that that is the quintessential like reason why open flame should be used because it imparts a new flavor into anything that you do. So yeah, no hundred yeah, that's exactly. Um, I keep going back to my grandma, but she's born in Portugal, came over here when she's like in her. Uh, I had her mom, my mom, I think she was like mid twenties, thirties. So yeah, I mean, she, she grew up, spent a good chunk of her life in Portugal and they have this, um, there's this dish that my grandmother loves to cook fish in that it's like a, actually a clay pot that has, um, the edges are probably like five inches raised. And then there's clay bars that make that go from side to side. And the idea is you put the alcohol in, you light it. And then you put the fish on top. So the fish is just cooking Ooh, over alcohol. Flame. Yeah. So wow. that's grandma's gym. And then she's going to kill me that. I don't know. I can't remember <laughs> the life of me what that pan is called, but 
she's always using open open flame. If grandma's putting a green pepper in something, instead of cooking it in a pan, she just turns her burner on and puts the the bell pepper directly on the the grill yeah. and just will flip it that way. That's that's, that's what grandma's cooking right there. My grandmother used to do that uh, cuz she would make like uh marinated roasted red peppers. Mm. And yep. we would just like use them as a condiment, basically. Like they'd go mm. on anything, and she would oh. roast like a bunch of them, and then put them in like a doubled up like Wegman's plastic bag, and tie them, oh. and then pu- and put them on the outside of the doorknob outside, and just leave <laughs> them out there. <laughs> I love that. And then later, when she would bring them in, and they'd just be like the perfect tenderness, and like the skin would peel so easily, like. And they were so fucking good, dude. I threw them about them all the time. They're so God good. Damn. The only problem with this podcast is like, I feel like I should have eaten dinner before. <laughs> yes. Uh, but we were, uh, anyway, the, the menu at Three Lives, like that was created originally 100% by you, right? And I remember us talking that your, the focus was, it was like two things. It was flavor number one, right? And then mm-hmm. number two was like, ease of like assembling the dishes like you had like a very a very certain way you'd set up your uh cook station i think is the word so i i with the budget in mind and the uh percentages that we wanted in mind and stuff like that and obviously i won't you know talk about that money aspect of it but like for sure the the easiest way to do it is to utilize the, the original menu that was brought to me that a chef had made that was originally going to do it uh, for John, because to open a restaurant, you have to have everything first. Huh. So somebody just made a mock menu and it was every dish had something different. It had four different toppings that you had to prep for every fucking thing. Uh, and it, And that didn't make any sense. So like, the things like the pickled vegetables or the coleslaw or the X, Y, and Z, like you want to have three to four signature things that people are going to come back for each time. So that's what I tried to focus on was like the pickled vegetables are homemade pickles. Um, the fact that the meat was ground, um, the, the fat content to the meat, like things like that. Like I wanted it to be like a micro pub without the like pretentious aspect of it. So mm-hmm. like, it was a chef's menu first and then a bar menu. Right. In in that way. And I started, I don't know if you remember back in the beginning, I started with this, like I was making my own sausage sandwiches and stuff like yeah. that. Yep. And that was just fucking, that was, it was a lot. I definitely, yeah. I definitely overdid it for the workload that I had. Yeah. Um, Cause it was just me for a while. And oh yeah. Just you. Well, you guys also like credit to John opening up a, a business in the middle of a pandemic, which like a good part of his business was revolving like, Hey, we have vintage video games. You can come in and play. And then you, we, they couldn't even do that. It's dude, it was a long road. It was a long road for all of us. Like obviously yeah. with me, not, I'm not there anymore, but Josh is one of my best friends. And, you know, we play D&D together. We could talk about D&D all fucking day. Here. Fuck yeah, but. dude. Josh <laughs> my kind of people, dude. Josh yes. my kind of people. Oh, and just he's he's been DMing for us for a long time. We're doing the Dungeons in a Box campaign. Oh, Dungeons in a Box. It's like a monthly subscription where you get sent oh. the next chapter of the of the campaign. Whoa. And then a bunch of minis and maps and shit like that. That's cool, dude. And it's a year long. 
nice each each season they call it is a year long and we're That's almost cool. we started last february so we're, we're kind of closing in but he's exhausted for being a dm so i'm gonna i'm gonna take a soiree into dm and i think soon but first time yes nice dude yes it's intimidating we could do a whole, could do a whole podcast on that fucking oh thing. absolutely we could. it's definitely intimidating man but it's like you have played D so long you like you you got a good yeah sense of the rules one that's the biggest one and two dude you're very creative i feel like you would have no problem like coming up with different things or like if a roadblock happens and you have to figure out how do they come up like you're the performer i feel like that like a dm is like perfect for you perfect oh, yeah. for like mike malfi in the same way because yep. mike malfi is uh, like a performer essentially like that's where the dms i think thrive even more as than players is when you have that kind of background i also love like the accent aspect of it like anytime i watch like any campaigns online like critical role or i'm a big uh dimension 20 fan dude i love brandon lee mulligan oh my god he's a god, he's, he's a genius yeah he's so good. the man is unreal like yeah. and with him what i like a little bit more so than matt mercer because matt mercer is first and foremost, a, a voice actor is incredible. Yeah. Probably one of the best voice actors I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. And, but Brendan Lee Mulligan is such a good improv artist. Like mm-hmm. the improv is insane that he's able to do the stuff that just comes off his dome. That feels like it's a monologue that was written by like Neil Simon. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's just insane. That's, that's the hardest thing that I have is, is yeah. the improvisation. That's the hardest part because you think you, like know your character down like a book and then you find out like very, here's a very quick example. I'll try to run through this as quick as I can. I'm playing a paladin in the, in the yeah. campaign with Mike and I paladins are always like, Holy just, it's the right thing yep. we got. He finally met the guy who admitted to killing his mom and he was going to give him the location. If he said, if you let me free, I'll give you the location of your mom. She's been imprisoned for, 20 years or whatever right and he goes fine I, I won't do it and then he tells him the location and i'm thinking in my head i'm like no this dude fucking like tortured my my mom like why would he not want like that guy's life to end because he cared about his mom so so like in that moment like i jesus i always have the hardest time try, like that's part of dnd is like getting in the mind of another character that's the hardest part about it yep but you, dude, you can improv like nobody else, dude. You can like you can fucking act out a scene, no problem. The first, the first character that I made that I'm still playing right now, he's he. It was the first time I'd ever played D anD D, and I I love the character to death. But it's just it's me. Yep, it's that's what ex- everybody. Yeah, dude. When people first start playing, they're like, I'm just gonna play myself as a character. It's an exaggerated version of me. His name is fucking Zeke. Like it was, it's like at least create. He's a bard. Like it's just like he cooks. Like he was a butcher, mm. and his parents died, and blah blah. Like there's this whole like you know a relatively small yeah. background to it. He's a chef. He cooked at the Three yeah. Lives Inn. He was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the first barcade ever to. <laughs> yeah, the first barcade in the Forgotten Realms. Yeah. But um. It was like, and then I ended up doing a campaign with some of my coworkers. We did like a quick uh, one-off and I built a character for that. That was a, that was like finally me being like, I understand this game. Let me make something that's different from me. Like that pushes you outside of that box. Yes. To think about it. So I made a turtle. 
and nice. he was a barbarian and Whoa. I roll, I don't like to re-roll. Like I, I don't like to meta game. So like when I rolled my character, he was the dumbest character I think that's ever been created in fucking <laughs> D&D ever. <laughs> it tracks, I guess. I guess. His name, I mean, his name was Yazgam, I called him. And he, yeah. I just, everybody called him Yazzy because he didn't know how to pronounce his own name. Oh, so he, he so would just funny. like, he just like, there was like a whole part of the campaign where I tried to like explain what my name was, but I couldn't like explain it. I just kept like pronouncing it wrong. And he's he just very much so was like, I played him like a pet. Almost yeah. like he would just attach to anybody that said something he did was good and like become like this little baby that just like wants that person. Like it was crazy, but he also had that. like this background story of him. Like he was on a shit and I didn't know, I didn't do a lot of background into turtles, but like turtles are more like tortoises than they are like sea turtles. Mm. But it was a nautical campaign that we were playing. So I spoke with the DM and like, uh, and I think that like, the whatever you call it like ground zero conversation with dungeons and dragons is such an important thing to have yep session zero dude very yes like the biggest thing too because that's that what sets the tone for the rest of the campaign and also it kind of puts everybody on the same foothold so people aren't like all over the place and it's and and it was just like we ended up making it so like he worked on a ship and he would like be underneath the water like getting barnacles off the ship and all this stuff and like Mm. he was just like basically did the grunt work on the ship. And one day he was under the ship and his ship got attacked and he was so dumb that he just didn't come up (laughs) and he comes up and his whole crew's dead. And like the place has been pillaged and stuff like that. And like, he's just trying to like figure out what to do and just, and basically when I was introduced to the party that we had, I just imprinted on them and became like part of their crew. You're just like a dog. It was like, you guys, you guys gave me a barnacle. Yeah. He's gonna be a barnacle, <laughs> and I would just like anytime I would go into a rage, I would just brutalize like any creature and just like <laughs> was biting heads off of like guys that we were like, <laughs> like it was it was fun. And I think I'll someday I'll bring that character back because we it was just a one off, but like I really enjoyed that aspect of it and like yeah. diving into new characters and being able to play them. So I think as a DM, because you meet so many characters. Yep. it's going to be so fun to be able to just do like accents on the fly. And, like, Bro, and like that's that. why I feel like I think you would thrive as a DM. Yes, it might yeah. be like like the saying, like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Yeah. Like, you already know the rules, right? That's yep. bite one. Bite two, you've played a couple different characters, right? So bite two, right? And then right. you're on to the next one. And you're like, you. I, I feel like you would you would really thrive as a, as a DM. I think you yeah. have that creative part of your head. Yeah, be careful I mean, saying that you, you eat like... elephants, dude. You're gonna get canceled. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, dude. <laughs> Man, we just went on a Dungeons and Dragons tangent. What were you we talking about before? Oh, the Three Lives menu, right? Yes, when you put yeah. that together and everything. It was, uh, you know, it was. I, I, I loved it. Like I said, I still, I still love those guys. There's, a, there's a decent amount of contention. Like it in food service, it's such a stressful environment that it's very, very difficult not to hate people you work with. Yeah, because they've been through the trenches with you. Yeah, and especially people like like with John, like owning a place and opening a place during that, like it's hit the stress that he's going through probably still is astronomical. And it was, you know, obviously it's not, everybody knows it's not the way that things ended wasn't the fucking greatest way for things to end, you know what I mean? But it's, there came a point where it had to be like a decision that we all made together for me to be like, yo, bro, it just doesn't make sense for you to try to pay me anymore. Like, right. 
right and dude i mean jesus christ i can't i've I've talked to john about this like i can't give that dude enough credit for having a business like in like supposed to open that the day shutdown happens or what was it it was like two days after a shutdown happened or something weird like that it was the same exact time frame yeah he was he was looking to open like at the end of that winter so like january to february Mm-hmm. And obviously that was like, oh, fuck. And yeah. he, and it was like, I think seven months of rent before he even made a penny. Like Jesus Christ, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, and right. then we just hit it. We hit the ground running as fast as we could. I mean, I think we maybe had a month of menu planning. Wow. Between Josh and I and, and Josh had even less because we didn't get our liquor license until like two weeks before we opened. So when you sit down and try to figure out a menu, what like what is the process for that? I don't even like know where to begin. It was I was I was lucky to have like a uh John who could just be like, This is kind of what I want, but like you don't have to do that, and then me just bounce ideas. Right. So it was like I, I knew we wanted smash burgers. That was kind of the the key thing. And then cooking for a bar is really easy because there's staples that you have to have. Um Obviously, we went the route of like tater tots and fries and stuff like that. And then we did chicken wings, um, which were probably my favorite thing on the menu was the chicken wings. They're so but, good. Oh, I miss them so much. God damn. I fucking think about them all the time. Bro, that, those uh, chili, uh, that vegan chili dude, too, by the way. Yes. Oh, I forgot That's I made chili. Dude. Yeah. Oh, I love chili. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I uh, Wasabi. Stop it. My cat <laughs> wants attention. Um, so that was, I think with the wings and all that stuff, like it, it was like the main aspect of the idea of boy, I'm going to come on. (laughs) It's your turtle, dude. He's, he's crazy. Um, I think like the wings best described like the idea that I was going for more than even the smash burgers because smash burgers are it's a burger you put toppings on it like that's you can be as creative as you want but with wings it's like people are like buffalo this that and the other thing and i said immediately i was like i don't want buffalo wings yeah like that's it's not what i want predictable. yeah so i did the sweet chili hoisin and stuff wasabi get out of there i did the sweet i did the sweet chili hoisin and that was like my take on barbecue sauce basically oh um, yeah yeah that was, was good dude that was fire Mm. Yeah, and those like the I I had to go to like uh the Asian uh market on Erie Boulevard to get like the main ingredient for that. Really? And there's there's no English on it. I don't even know what it was. Like I yeah. just like it was yeah. the same thing and I was like, "Okay, can you, I was like, you guys going to have this every time I come here?" And they're like, "Oh, like they didn't know what I, I was just like, "Please, like can I have a case of this?" And they're like, "Yeah, uh, guys." They're like, "Nobody's like, nobody's ordered that yeah. in uh, 4 years." <laughs> So I had to, to use it sparingly, but it, it was like, I think it, it was like a, it's like a fermented chili bean oil. Okay. So it's like, huh? Do you know what Edzuki is like Edzuki jelly, which is like a bean jelly. It's no. like a Japanese bean jelly. What? It the? was like Making that. Jelly out of beans? <laughs> yeah. It's like a, it's like fermented beans that you like add sugar to and salt and like they become like this paste that's like spreadable. So it was like that in chili oil, basically. Okay. 
and then hoisin and a couple other things, you know what I mean? I'll you know, post a link to the recipe here. But yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> uh, I'd probably get sued if I did that. Um, I, it was, that was a big, huge creative thing for me. And then like, I love honey mustard. So we made our own honey mustard for the wings. Yeah. Um, the, the dipping sauces are on point. Yeah. And right then right. I did, it, it was the process of making the wings that made them so good because not just throwing wings from a bag into a fryer like most people do. Everybody it, can do that. Yeah. It was the brining them and the, you know, and the frying them twice and the doing all that stuff that made the most sense for it. But uh, yeah. Twice I, fried wings are uh, no joke, my dude. Oh, twice best. fried wings. People are underrated with that. Oh, that was, and that was always contention of people. Like it was either they were, weren't fucking cooked enough or they were too cooked. Uh, and it was like, I started just being like, just ask them how they want them. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, which is right. annoying as shit, but like, yeah, because you're like, I want it. This is the way that it should. Yeah. Cause it's very like, you're very much like an artist where an artist would be like, this is how it's supposed to be enjoyed. God damn it. Well, I know <laughs> that people like crispy wings, mm-hmm. but crispy wings, they lose all chicken flavor. Oh, they just become the flavor of what they're in. Okay. Fair enough. When you have a, a perfectly cooked chicken wing, like, which is difficult for a lot of people to do because they don't want to undercook it because you can get fucking sued like that. If there's any yeah. pink in your fucking chicken. Right. And it's, I like a, I used to do, I did a couple of pop-up events when I was at uh, Carmelita's where we would do single fried um, and then we would put them in a crock pot in like mm. the owner's homemade fucking enchilada sauce oh, with like damn. chilies and like all this shit in there and tomatillos and blah, blah, blah. And just braise them for like a day. Huh. And you would take the wing out and they would just come on the plate like that and it would just fall off the bone. Like you would just take the bone out of it and eat it. Yeah. And wow. I think that was one of the better wings I've made. Right. But people, when when it was on the menu as chicken wings, people were like, "These aren't fucking chicken wings." And it's just like, <laughs> "Shut up and put it in your mouth." Just eat you it. Know what I mean, like, <laughs> that kind of thing. So there there are some things that you can't fuck with. So mm. I ended up having you end up having to step back a little bit on some of your creativity and your arrogance, which but most chefs it. are arrogant. Oh no, dude, it's not arrogance, bro. That's you like that's you doing your job and being like creative and uh, like we'll say creative 12 more times today, but really that's like what it is. You're like, that's your canvas, right? The food is your canvas. Like that's where you, that's where you kind of explore and dabble with stuff. But sadly you have to paint the cabinet canvas green for money. So like, yeah, it's, right, exactly. You, that's the line. That's the thin line of, um, and this is something that I learned heavily from Vince's from getting yelled at by an Italian man who goes, I don't give a fuck about your cuisine and this bullshit. Well, I'm just trying to make money like that kind of thing. Yeah. Is like a super important lesson that I now have that I'm grateful for because right. you do like if, if my menu and percentages and stuff like that weren't good, we wouldn't have been able to make it through what we did. Like, right. Because bars aren't supposed to be, they're not supposed to rely on food. Yeah. Right. And they ended up having to, and I was grateful to do it and it fucking burnt me out, obviously. Yeah. But uh, 
but it's just that's not how it's supposed to be because bars make so much money off alcohol. Right. The food's just supposed to be what put people in the seats to drink and keep them yeah, alive yeah. so they can drive home. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, right, for sure. And do you like uh like experiment a lot at home with stuff? Like when you're cooking, you're like, I wonder how this would taste. Yeah. I think the best way to make good food is to fuck up. Like yeah. and I I've always been the kind of person that's why I'm happy to be cooking like just for myself. Mm-hmm. Because I'll eat less it. pressure. Yeah, because I'll eat it. I don't give a shit. It's for nutrition and nourishment. Like, that's what, at the end of the day, what food is. <laughs> right. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, when I was cooking for my ex-wife and stuff like that, I would always feel bad if I fucked something up, like if I tried something new. Like, so it was a lot harder to really get creative and try new things. But, like, talk about the Asian market. Like, every time I go to the Asian market, I grab something new off the shelf. Interesting. That I don't know what it is. And then you're just trying to make something out of it. And I try, I'll taste it and try it. And then if it's Damn. fucking gross, I'll just be like, all right, it's gross. And then I'll use it and just get through it and be done. Wow. Not that me. Kind of thing. No. Yeah. I taste it, I'd be like, yeah, uh, it's hard, really hard for me to throw away food. I don't like throwing away food. It's tough. Well, I bet you as a chef too, you probably see some egregious shit getting thrown out sometimes too. That's, I mean, one of the, one of the great things about, uh, about Vince's was any extra food always went to donations. Oh, thank God. Which I think is really, really important for a lot of people to do. But also like, you know, if you can't do that, at least try to compost or fucking something like, right. Right. Or I always try to make like my own broths out of scraps to just at least get one use out of them and, and always boil your bones after they're done. Like stuff, you know, stuff like that. Like just to try to get everything out of it. You can. Right. I mean, there's there's again back to the indigenous sort of cuisine it's like you got to use every part of the animal like because i love animals which people are always like you know what i mean like you love animals why'd you get a tattoo of the ones you like to cook on your arm you know what i mean like right yeah yeah but it's you can love you can love the animals but also like understand like that's kind of it's not that that's what they're there for because jesus christ i don't want to hear a vegan talk to me about this again but (laughs) (laughs) I uh, I think there's an ethical way to eat animals, and I think it's what we should all strive for, which is like only hunted meats and yeah. things like that. Like raising raising animals properly too is something that's never gonna fucking happen in our country ever. Which is sad, really sad, yeah. really really sad for sure. But, but again, I'm not gonna lie, Zach. Though if I had a farm and I had a bunch of chickens, I would have a really hard time cutting off the head of of Miss. Uh, Miss Cluck, yeah, trying to make a a stew out of her. I would have a hard time with that. I'm not gonna lie. It's I. I mean, I agree, but it's like at the same time, like if if they've lived the the good life, and we got to remember, animals have different life expectancies than we do, for sure. So it's like people think like, oh, you love something. It's like you're loving a baby, right? It's like I love my cat, but he's only gonna live for like a max of 18 years. Yeah. That'd be different than if I had a kid and they died when they were 18. You know, yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. way different. Yeah, way so different. So like so it's with chickens and with cows and and especially with pigs, because pigs I think are one of the smartest um like oh, yeah. you could call them mass crop animals or whatever you want to call them. Like they taste better when they're happy. Mm. And that's fucking terrible to say out loud. Yeah, yeah. I get it. But it's true. 
But if you eat a pig from a farm that was raised properly, that had a name, that was given the right food, that was able to graze and able to be free and blah, 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 that's going to be the best bacon you've ever had in your life. 100%. 150%, 100%. dude. Like, yep. But if you're eating just the fucking bacon that you're getting from Oscar Mayer at Wagman, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it is. That's you, sad meat. You, it's sad meat. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad meat. And it's true, dude. It's so true. So, like. If you did have chickens or whatever, you would you would let that chicken live and you would eat its eggs. Yep. And you would you would thank it every day and you would feed it fucking whole grain foods and like all this beautiful stuff and blah blah blah. But like you talk about a a piece of fucking De Parma prosciutto from Italy, that pig has the best life ever, and it's eating the fucking rinds of Parmigiano Reggiano. Like yeah. that that pig is living like a king. Yeah. And that's why that slice of prosciutto is the best thing you'll ever put in your mouth. Exactly. So I don't know. Is that I'm, that's what Vince was all about? Was that all that dried meat? When you go in there, you got oh. they have so much stuff in there, bro. And I, I'm telling you, I love cured meat so much. Really? But I've I've been trying to give it up as much as I can. Like I could tell it stressed you out when you said that sometimes. You were like, "Fuck, oh. so much," but I can't have it, bro. <laughs> Supersat, like a nice stick of like cured homemade supersat, there's nothing better. There's Is that nothing at better. Yeah. So they make their own supersat there and it's uh they have a hot one that's just so supersat is essentially salami. So the over the overarching term for cured sausages is salumi, which uh. is but there's a bunch of different ways to do it. So uh, Supersat is a one grind sausage that's cured. So the one grind on it means that it looks like it's fattier, but it still has the same amount of fat as a, as like a Genoa salami or a hard salami, like something you would get at a deli Right? would be, it just looks fattier. So it's got like those chunks of lard in it that are like that big. Yeah. And it's just this beautiful, like sliced. And as soon as you slice it and it hits like the warm air out of the cooler, it starts to sweat like some oils from the fat. And like there's peppercorns in it and like chili in it. And it's just like you just eat it and it just melts away in your mouth. And just the flavor from the fat and the oh, oh, oh. And and you eat three slices of it and you fucking start to have heart palpitations. (laughs) But but it's so good. (laughs) Like. Oh, dude. Well, so I think I need to go uh, eat something now. I feel Absolutely. like that's a, that's a solid way to end this thing, dude. I, yeah, man. this was cool. This was a yeah, lot of fun doing this. this was I feel like I didn't realize, I gotta say, I did not realize. Well, I guess I kind of did because I, I love the uh, ugly delicious, right? Like that's one of my favorite cooking shows, yeah. one of my top. And I just, I, when I talk to somebody like you, who's passionate about cooking, I realized that it really is a, it really is an art form. It's much more than throwing grilled cheese on the pan yes, and then yeah. microwaving tomato soup. You know what I mean? But there's still there's still importance in the simple in the simple stuff. Like 100%. That's why I always try to remind people that say like, "Oh, I can't do what you do." Blah blah blah. It's like you can do what you do in the way that you do it. It's it's different. You know what I mean? Like you take there's a I don't know if you've seen the movie Chef before. No. That's a that's a great watch. I think you'd like that movie a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, it's a Jean Favreau movie, and he plays a chef. And there's a scene where he makes uh, grilled cheese for his kid, 
in like this beautiful kitchen that he has in his apartment. And it's like just a simple grilled cheese sandwich, but it's like filmed. Like it looks like he's fucking, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's just this gorgeous, like, Oh, it's gorgeous. And that's definitely like that helped me understand like the simplicity of like just something simple with a simple technique like that. So don't right. be down on yourself for making grilled cheese, dude. Don't be down on yourself. Zach, <laughs> thanks for doing this, dude. I appreciate your time, bro. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. We'll have to do it again soon. We'll have to uh, do a little campaign maybe with me you and uh, some of the guys. I bet you right now. I Listen, I only get like three views on my podcast. It's like <laughs> my mom, my dad, and then Mike. <laughs> okay. So Mike listens to this right now, and yeah. he just went like a full 10 hut. Yeah, I'll probably he, get a text from him soon, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, brother. Uh, Thanks, Zach. I appreciate you. Yeah, be good, man. Thank you so much for listening to the show. The love and support that you guys show me is such a wonderful thing. From the text messages to social media posts, it's just a constant reminder of how many awesome people I have in my life. If you want to support the show, make sure you subscribe, follow, like the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Share it with your friends and tell them what your favorite episode is. If you think yourself or someone you may know would be great on the podcast, reach out to me and we can make it happen. I love putting these out and getting a chance to talk to so many interesting people is so incredible. So thank you for giving me your time, and I appreciate you guys more than I can put into words. I love you people very much.